0: everybody it's Brian thanks for tuning in if you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce South King or Thurston County please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust he will also donate $500 to Ben's fund for every closed transaction I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interest in mind John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, it's uh, Brian, uh, and uh, we've got the crew here, the Hawk Blogger crew here. Uh, <laughs> I heard from a number of you about where did the podcast go? Uh, we haven't had this one last week, although Jeff and uh, Will did a great one a couple weeks ago. A number of us couldn't make it. Softy, you know, had some scheduling issues. I had some scheduling issues. We're back. Uh, and I think we picked the timing extremely well because we've got a lot to talk about. Um, and you know, I'm not just talking about the Eagles, the victory over the Eagles, or this massive matchup against the Jaguars. We've got to spend a little time talking about Nathan Ernst's uh, facial hair. Uh, and, or and, and Yeah, I mean, I, we were just, just getting started, and I figured we should get the show started with this. But... Typically, November is, you know, Movember for people that don't follow, right? You're supposed to grow facial hair and attempt to bring, like, you know, awareness to prostate cancer and men's health issues. Is this a statement against men's health, Nathan, or is there something else that led to this? It's a a statement
1: against my wife who despises (laughs) it. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, You know, as the great Bruce Arian said, uh, no risk it, no biscuit. Uh, And so I risked (laughs) it uh and i have some regrets but you know it's uh it's here to stay for a little while
0: i like it dude evan's evan's got something to say he's our
1: resident like fashion expert so i'll have was- you know i've gotten a lot of compliments on it oh no, and no i don't no, know how many of no, them no, are sarcastic but i
2: want to clarify
1: you look great nathan it is oh well thank you i
2: don't think like it was a tragic decision or anything i was just i was just wondering when was the last time you fully shaved your face like this
1: uh so it's been a while i mean i've done a bunch of different stuff with it um i've had some truly awful facial hair uh (laughs) but i've done just the standard beard for a long time now um it's probably been at least three four years since i've done anything taking it off like this so yeah i go outside and my face is cold i can feel my skin it's bizarre Uh, if you guys have a beard if you had a beard for a while I, i recommend it give it a shot just go mustache straight mustache Oh, I cannot do mustache. It would be like super <laughs> creepy
0: if I did mustache. Uh, although I, I, you know, I am getting some pressure to grow my hair out for the first time in a long time, and and uh, that could be ugly. Uh, I get this big, just like microphone. You know, it's not, it's not a good look. So I like it, by the way, Nathan. I, I well, think thanks. it's, I think it's, it's very hipster forward um, of you. You fit <laughs> right in with with uh, our other hipster on the show.
1: Which one's that? Is that Evan? Who's oh, Have you, have you oh, seen? Right. His, I
2: mean, like this, I'm a hipster, the shoes, the shoes on those guy, that guy. I mean, oh, were... no. hey, hey, that's modern.
0: That's modern. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, so uh, before we get into all the, the other stuff, Evan, you know, give us an update on your your wedding planning, man. How's that going? Oh on? my gosh, we were talking about this before the show. I hope
2: my fiance isn't listening, but. Like a wise man once said before the show, leave all the planning to the woman. And I am completely hands-off approach, letting her make all the important decisions. I am there for input and advice counseling, but I do not make any actual decisions. So yeah, that's my role. It's going well.
0: <laughs> that's not limited to the wedding planning, you know that, right? Like that's just that's just the start of the rest of your life.
2: Yeah, no. I- I know. I'm tied down the rest of my life. I know. Freedom's gone. Yep.
0: <laughs> Jeff, what about you, man? Welcome back. Good to see you. Uh, any any uh, things we can make fun of you about?
3: Uh, I'm growing this beard. It's like three different colors. <laughs> there
1: you know, some blonde in here, some red. I'm always jealous of the but, people that get, like, the white patch. Have you seen those? Some people have in the beard or in their hair. They just get, like, a, a one white patch. It looks pretty great. <laughs> I was, I was telling Evan earlier, I tweeted
3: him, I know you guys are getting hockey over there. And I, I'm, a, I'm a Canadian, so I can I can help you guys learn. Uh, usually there's a big hockey net in my bag. I remember when Danny Kelly was on, he was making fun of me about it. There was a hockey net in my basement. So if you guys need help with that, I can help you out. That's something I grew up around. And I can give you tons of stuff to make fun of me about, but I'll, I'll take that off the show this week.
0: Yeah, you know, I have to say, um, and before, we're, we're already way off topic, but, but uh, I can't get myself into hockey at all, man. I, I like, there was like zero level of excitement about, um, uh, all right, am I having mic issues? You guys
1: can hear me?
0: Damn it. All right, you guys talk. I'll fi- try to figure it out.
2: I was just just gonna say, Jeff. I think you might have to explain the hockey rules to me because I don't think I know. I don't think I know fifteen percent of hockey. Yeah, it's,
3: it's you know, it's kind of like a mix of soccer and lacrosse in one. It's, it's a basic game. It's 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 fast though, man. It's fun. It's maybe maybe the best
2: live sport. Somebody, I, I don't know if it was you, Jeff, or or maybe it was Nathan, or. Some somebody else told me on Twitter today, or tweeted at me, and said hockey is basically like fifteen Russell Wilsons all running around on ice and giving each other Cam Chancellor hits. And I just
1: thought that
3: That's was not bad. That's not bad.
1: <laughs> so that wasn't me, but it sounds pretty awesome.
3: <laughs> yeah. in the meantime, Evan, you've been getting a lot of Twitter play for your T-shirt. Why don't you get into Why don't you get into that a little bit? Talk about the shirt, where it came from, where the proceeds are going. Because that, that's been blowing up.
2: Yeah, as you guys know, I am a very negative Twitter follow. I, uh, I uh, <laughs> It's just horrible following me. It's, you know, the Seahawks are going to lose every single week. Um, injuries are going to happen. Offense is going to sputter. It's horrible. So, um, no, just kidding. But, uh, obviously, I'm an extremely optimistic person just kind of in general. And, um, you know, a- after they lost to the Skins, after they lost to um, – all these teams that we, all these losses that we weren't expecting. I was like, you know what? Let's run the damn table. Let, let, you know, let, but we're going to do it better than the, we're going to do it better than the Packers Packers. We're going to run the table. Russ is going to finish off with an MVP campaign and we're going to go into the playoffs hot. And I just kept telling myself that like every single morning, I was like, we're going to run the table. It's going to happen. Like bar none. We're running the table, like no other decision. And, uh, I just somehow forced myself into believing this. So, um, yeah, we're going to run the table. Simple simple, and sweet. I think it's going to happen. Uh, I, I talked to Will a couple days ago right after the Eagles game when we were all like on cloud nine on Sunday night. I was like, "We, what what if we created Run the Damn Table shirts and we gave all the proceeds to Ben's Fund, which we support here at Hog Blogger. All donations go to um, – this local charity, created by John Schneider, general manager of the Seahawks, that supports uh, children with fam- families on the autism expect or families with children on the au- autism spectrum. Uh, basically, they just financially support them, make life easier for them, and uh, support them in tons of different ways, coming alongside these families. So they do really cool, great work. Um, you can find it on my Twitter. Um, I with pin- my pin tweet slash Evan on HB HB for Hawk Blogger. Uh, it's my pin tweet, all proceeds go to, go to Ben's fund. So basically they like the the site we went through pays out like monthly. So, uh, whenever they pay me through my PayPal account or whatever happens, I'll just screenshot it and then I'll screenshot the donation just for the sake of transparency, um, to Ben's fund. So yeah, all credit to William Cornell, our rain city series document document. Uh, I can't even say that word rain series rain city series filmmaker, um, he created that design super cool work so um yeah we're super excited about it we think it's a great cause good shirt hopefully the seahawks run the damn table so
0: very nice can you guys hear me okay much better. all right hopefully that remains i'm gonna paste the uh link into the chat for the show and um we'll also add it into the uh uh description so people can find it cool Uh right, Jeff, lead us. Fearless leader, host us. Where should we start?
3: All right, first of all, Evan, I just want to say I was blown away with your positivity. (laughs) After the Niners game, the Falcons game, like, I found it hard to, like, get positive about this team. Me and Will had, like, a real deep talk after the Falcons game on our show about, like, where this team is. Like, we were getting... Talking about the whole Pete Carroll, we got a little deep and crazy. So I gotta say, man, your positivity got to me this week. I was impressed. I'm trying to, I'm trying the uber positive approach this week with the team. See how it works, but I wanted to show you up for that. But yeah, back to what you were saying, Brian. That man, that game was awesome. The Seahawks hadn't had a regular season game like that maybe since a Saints game, the Super Bowl year. They just own Philly from the start of the game, and I know Evan's been preaching this all year. Look what happens when the Seahawks have a great start and they're playing with a lead. And, man, I just didn't see that game coming. I know a lot of you thought we were going to win, but just the all-around team effort from the defense, the coaching staff, the quarterback, even a running game, the offensive line, the Seahawks were so good at so many levels, and we really haven't seen that. This year, I remember we did the show, we were all jacked up after that Houston game where it was really Russell versus Watson. It's kind of a one-on-one duel. And I know we were pumped up after the Rams game, a game the Seahawks defense kind of stole on the road with all those turnovers. But there hasn't really been a game this season. Maybe the New England game last year is the best comparable or that Saints game on Monday night in the Super Bowl year. But where top to bottom. The team was so much – they were just so complete. And they were so much better than what everyone thought was the best and most complete team in football. So – Coming out of that game, I just had so many different thoughts and there were so many different players I want to hit on. So what? let's let's yeah. start with you, Evan. Or Brian. How about you, Brian?
0: No, no, I, I'm fine starting with Evan. I, I'm just kind of – I'm really curious what you guys – if we can capture what your thoughts were before the game, what were you really expecting, what were you thinking, worrying about, and then what was different? Like what was the biggest surprise? I'd love to hear that from, from you guys. Evan? You can start.
2: Yeah, I think um, I. Uh, you know, obviously, we talk about Russell Wilson and, and his incredible three touchdown performance on on Sunday night, and you know, converting third down after third down, all the all the pre snap motions, like we saw in chalk or in, uh, chalk talk or whatever it's called by Brock Heward. I don't know if you guys saw that. That was super cool. The breakdown on that. Obviously, Russell Wilson had a huge part to play on on Sunday night, but I think the most impressive portion of that game for me was the Seattle defense and how they came to play that night. We did not. I mean, if you, you you saw tons of tweets on Saturday and Sunday, Friday, Thursday, everybody was like, the Seahawks are going to have to put up 30 plus. And I was one of those people. I was like, the Eagles are going to put up crazy amount of points. There's no way we contain them. Carson Wentz is going to get his, get his touchdowns. We're not going to be able to stop their running game. End of story. And look what happened. The Seahawks defense came out bawling, and You know, we we made good second-half adjustments to stop the run. Uh, I mean, obviously they started out hot, but, I mean, we shut down Carson Wentz. Our our corners played well. Shaq played well. Byron – or Maxwell, except for a couple plays, you know, really played well. I I really felt like he actually played a solid game, except for those two just ridiculous Wentz plays. But I'm so impressed with how our defense showed up and and just balled out on Sunday night. Bobby Wagner was incredible. Um, The I, I'm just blown away by by our defensive performance on Sunday night. Our offense was lights out, but I mean, I was really excited about our defense.
1: How about you, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, going into the game, uh, I wasn't, uh, I didn't think they were just going to lose, but I mean, I didn't think that. Well, I thought they were going to lose, but I wasn't, like, sure about it. I wasn't, like, really down on the game. I was excited, and I I wanted to see what was going to happen. But I I figured, you know, they were probably going to lose. They probably weren't the better team. Um, And, obviously, everything they did in that game, um, you know, they didn't didn't just win. They didn't have one of their crazy games where they kind of snuck something out. Um, uh, They just showed up. They played a complete game. Um, They didn't do anything too weird. You know, they – they seem to kind of optimize their game plan, and they just looked like the team that we kind of all, I think, thought they could be all year long, and they hadn't really, um, you know, shown. And so, just you know, the complete game, the clean game, um, and just to show up and you know, take it to a really good team right from the start, and just kind of take the lead and run away with it. Um, you know, it was a good game, it was a close game, but like they were solidly in command of that game for pretty much the entire time. So uh, it was just really cool to see all the things that we think this team can be um, for that to show up.
0: Yeah, it's funny. You know, um, I, I, I was really expecting the defense to take a decent step back um, when Cam Chancellor and Sherman were out, and. I would kind of figured maybe like a 20 to 25% regression might have been realistic. Like they were averaging eight, allowing 18 points, but maybe they'd end up allowing 21, 22 points after that. And it's almost like there was like this trust fall, right? Like you expected them to be coming down, but then elevator's going up on Shaquille Griffin. Elevator's going up on Bradley McDougal. Elevator's going up on you know some of the players on the defensive line and some of the other young guys that have been rotating in and so they caught us like they caught the team and instead of you know dropping precipitously the defense is stabilized like it's it's not significantly different than the defense it was beforehand and how do we know that because they just faced you know another number one offense that I think is better than the Rams offense And held them to 10 points. I mean, that was remarkable. Um, And the other thing I wrote about, uh, at least on Twitter, is the Seahawks' run defense over the last seven weeks of the season, they're the number one in the NFL. They're averaging under 3.1 yards allowed per game. And for them to hold the Eagles under 100 yards after giving up like 77 in the first half, uh, that was a shock. I, you know I had high expectations or high hopes but I didn't expect I thought that was an unrealistic thing to expect from that team so to see them play that kind of run defense that sets up everything else and the offense to come out from the get-go give coaching staff credit holy crap that
3: was my point. every
0: member of the coaching staff deserves a pat on the back and we all harass them plenty but the very first play i heard from players and coaches both publicly and otherwise that was intentional to have russell wilson keep that ball and get into his fourth quarter like all out mode from the get-go and who knows if that was the key to the game but it sure felt like he started off in a different mindset than we've seen him start off in almost any other game um you know recently
1: i mean that's why that's why we've been harassing them right like this is in them. They can do this. Um, you, they they sometimes seem to choose not to. Um, like that Washington game, um, the Niners game, uh, we'll see what they do against this, this Jacksonville team if they take it to them the same way they did to the Eagles. But like, all of the criticism of the coaching staff, I think, kind of proved true a little bit in that Eagles game. Um, not that they're incompetent or incapable, but that they were not coaching, I don't think, the best they they were not putting the best game plans out there and against Philadelphia it felt like they did and the team showed up and performed the way I think we were all hoping they had been they would have done you know throughout the season
2: and I think one of the big factors on that was there was a couple quarterback designed runs for Russell in in that opening series where it kind of got Russ's blood flowing and some easy passes to lock it and it, it just felt like it got him in his groove early um I don't know if you guys felt the same way
1: Yeah, I mean, that first read option play that, you know, Brian was talking about, like, that was clearly designed for him to keep it because they had him – they gave him a a lead blocker on that, right? They had the tight end come across. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that was very much like, you need to keep this ball, Russ. And so (laughs) – and I don't know if that's what did it, if that's what made it click or what, but, like, you you can see that in the plays that they called early.
3: And it was just such a drastic difference to that Niners game, which was – the week before, which was so frustrating in the first half where they were awful on offense like i think brian was the like cj Bedhard. i don't even beat hard i don't know say his name completely outplayed russell in the first half and like the play calling and the, the whole staff would just look off and i'm glad brian mentioned the coaching because i thought just so many chris richard i, th- I think if he's gonna get a head coaching job i think that's the film a team would want to watch the blitz he had with justin coleman off the edge and the blitz he had on fourth down with kj Wright. there was just so many well-designed plays and yeah, the third down and long defense still need some work. That's still going to drive us all a little nuts. But I thought from Bevel, from Tom Cable, I thought – Doug Ferrari, I, mean, I tweeted this out after the game. I thought that was maybe the best top-to-bottom game Pete's coached maybe in Seattle. And with an under roster against a team that was so statistically good in almost every category, just completely owned them from front to back, that really stood out to me. And the other big thing that stood out to me – I had cautious optimism about the offensive line heading into this game. They really blocked San Francisco well the week before. There were some communication errors that people got hold of on Twitter, but I really wanted to see how they would hold up against this Philly front. It's probably the best defensive line group in the league, maybe outside of Jacksonville. Man, Dwayne Brown has made a ton of difference. I know you guys were tweeting out some stats, and we all saw the PFF numbers, but I just saw that first touchdown of Jimmy Graham, I tweeted during the game, Having a guy like Brown has completely changed everything. He's been a massive difference maker. And just watching him smoothly move away the rusher on that touchdown pass to Graham and watching him pick up stunts and watching him just smoothly move away these guys, it's impacted the entire line. And they've gone from a completely dysfunctional unit that we couldn't go an hour in our show without talking about. all of a sudden they're a top 10 pass blocking team. And to hold up that well against Philly, that kind of blew my mind.
0: Yeah, I, uh, on the coaching, you know, I, I think we got to see in back-to-back home games, um, the best Pete Carroll can be and what he can bring to a, to a team, and the worst Pete Carroll can be. I mean, like, you you compare this to Atlanta and the things that he did that I felt like directly contributed to a loss that didn't need to be a loss, and and you know being out over his skis and overly aggressive and all that kind of stuff. And then you bring it back to a game like this and he and John Schneider assembled such the perfect group of people when they're in this moment of doubt. And when there's, um, you know, they're overlooked. And when there's a team comes in that is overconfident or, you know, is, is maybe a a little bit overconfident is probably a fair word for it. Like, The Seahawks cut through teams like that regularly and, and a lot of that's Pete Carroll's coaching then his philosophy, how he brings teams together. And it was part of why I expected them to win this game against all like statistical indicators. Um, The key things for me was this offensive line coming together. Like you said, Jeff, I think it's looking, it's looking promising. Um, It's looking completely different than what it looked like. I like Mike Davis. You know, I will. I will gladly wear a Mike Davis T-shirt. I like the way he plays. I think he's a spark plug for the offense. I think he changes the offense. Um, and I think this defense, which proved to be, I think this defense is better than I expected it to be, um, considering the changes. So, like, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's exciting. It's it's it it has the potential to be a season changing win. But as I as I kind of mentioned before, all it really does right now is erase one of the number of losses that they shouldn't have had. You know, they need to get these next two games. They can't they really can't lose the rest of the way. They gotta run the damn table. Um uh to really make this season, you know, reach, you know, come close to reaching its potential.
1: Yeah, I mean they can they can probably drop one and if they are going to drop one, this is the one that's Jacksonville game um, that you want them to lose. Uh, but yeah, I mean to have any hopes of, you know, any kind of home field or, you know, the things that set you up for success for a deep run um, winning out is obviously huge.
0: Yeah. If goal is, is the, is the division title, you're totally right, Nathan. Right. So, um they can lose next week let's assume or hope that the eagles beat the rams which i think is a realistic expectation that's my that is my expectation
1: i don't know if we should be hoping for that though like if you're thinking about you know getting home seed and uh winning the division and and uh or getting home field and getting a good seed, uh the eagles losing is helpful like Mm -hmm. uh you know it, this team, ha- like you said, this team really needs to win out. They can probably drop the, drop the, Jackson, drop the Jacksonville game, and they could probably, probably be okay. Um, but, you know, if the goal is to win out, then they guarantee themselves the division if they win out. And at that point, you're looking for the team's other division leaders to drop games, right? And so um, if you're still shooting for that one seed, which is a little tight, um, but that two seed's pretty realistic still. And you need the the Eagles to to drop this game against the Rams. Well, yeah, you're changing,
0: you're changing the goal line on me, dude. If they're going to win out, then yes, of course, you know, Eagles losing would be better for sure. But but if they lose one and they lose the Jacksonville game, then the Eagles winning means that uh, the Seahawks just have to beat you know the Rams, you know, and the rest of their win the rest of their games and they would win the division, right? So. Um, you no, know, they can't they,
1: win the division if they. Well, they can, but if they drop the Jacksonville game, the division's pretty much out of reach at that point. It's possible, but it's unlikely.
0: No, no, no. If they, if they, if they drop the Jacksonville game and the and the Rams lose to the Eagles, then all right, the right, have right. to do is beat the Rams, and yeah. you know and yep. then they'll they'll have the tiebreaker. So you know what this yeah. reminds me of is how
2: important that win in L.A. was. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. This week, and I was like, you know, obviously the Eagles win is huge, but that win in L.A. Is really going to come down, and it, you know, it's going to have a massive effect on the end of the season, and, and you know, who wins the division and playoff seating and all that stuff. That win, pff, it's a tidal wave for playoff effects. So, Seattle's on the damn table.
0: Do you, you remember? You remember our show after that game where we spent a bunch of time talking about how many people were f- pissed off <laughs> after that win? I mean, there's so many people that were complaining about that win, and I was just like beside myself. Forget the fact that it was a key win against a tough opponent on the road, like and a division opponent that. The Rams, I mean, they're freaking we never beat the Rams, and they're so tough on this team. And like we finally beat them, and we're like, yeah, but our offense got five turnovers and only scored 16 points. I don't care. They won. Like, oh my God. Uh yeah, like you're right, Evan. That was a huge, huge the biggest game of the season for sure. So Jeff. Yeah. What do you think was what do you think was different on offense in that game? You know, this is a they, they scored 10 points in the first quarter. First team all year to score a touchdown against the Eagles in the first quarter. They scored a touchdown in 3 of the 4 quarters. You know, second quarter is the only time they didn't score. Um when you watched that game, what stood out to you on offense that might have been a little bit different than what we've seen before?
3: I thought there were a variety of factors. I thought I thought Russell, from start to finish, was it was definitely the cleanest and most consistent game that he's had. With Russell, there's been extreme highs and some really low lows early in games, and Russell coming out in that first quarter just driving down the field and that made a big difference. They're not playing from a hole. They're they're controlling the game. That. The, the fast start on offense. Well, they only scored three points in the first drive, but just getting Russell going made a world of difference. Where it's not like you're going these quick three and outs, giving Philly the ball back, making the defense tired. That that made a big difference. I thought they were really, really good on third down. There was a lot of number of passes that they made early in the game. There was one to Lockett. There was one to Richardson and on a slant route. It was just Bevel number two. Bevel called a, way, a really good, clean game, and the offensive line was another one. But I think another big thing was Mike Davis, as you as said. It wasn't just them running into a wall and wasting plays like they had been with Eddie Lacy and Thomas Rawls earlier. Between between Mike Davis, the move he made out of the backfield when he was a receiver, there, they just these guys are more dimensional weapons. McKissick is finding a good role. Davis has a much better role than Lacey. And with the three receivers and Jimmy Graham going – they seem to have found something on offense, but obviously, to me, the biggest thing was Russell. Russell was so good. I, Evan mentioned that, that clip with Brock Hewitt. and if you just watch the play, how he he fakes the snap count, moves Malcolm Jenkins with his eyes, gets one on one Baldwin and the safety there, and throws the ball on a twelve yard in cut, with a perfect pass pro on an all out blitz. Like it was just master, master quarterbacking, and Russell. Everyone's been talking about MVP this year, mostly because of how bad his teammates have been and how he's carried them. This was a game that really caught everyone's attention, and that's why he's almost a consensus MVP candidate. Even Pete Prisco called him an MVP candidate. Pigs fly. uh, Yeah, so for me, it had to be Russell. That was, to me, the best game he's played maybe of his career
2: yeah that was up there it's uh it's it's so great seeing what, what russell does and letting him showcase that on a in a primetime game against against the eagles and i know we don't like talking about quarterback wins as a as a major factor for the mvp award but the reality is is from a national media perspective it absolutely does and that in that win against the eagles you know so the east coast could see it in sunday night football primetime goes it goes so far so I think he has a really good shot, especially if they run the damn table and, you know, they, they win the rest of their games and he keeps a fairly clean slate in terms of interceptions and keeps like a three-to-zero, two-to-one ratio. I think he has a very good shot.
0: You know, someone in the chat, Colin Lundstrom in the in the chat, is talking about um, another name we haven't mentioned, uh, one of my favorites, which is uh, J.D. McKissick. Um, guy got another touchdown. I mean – that's probably one of the plays that people are talking about the least. He made Michael Kendricks look like a fool, right? I mean, he, like, he fell down. I mean, that, that was like, if it was on the basketball court, the whole stadium would have been like, oh! I mean, that was an amazing route, and he's a running back, right? Like, and, and this guy's shown shown the ability to really uh, you know, impact the offense. He's taken the role that C.J. ProSize was supposed to fill, and filled it, you know, maybe better than ProSize would have if, if he was even there. Um, and you add that to Mike Davis, who I think, I can't remember who wrote about it on Twitter, but it was a good point. Four 20 yard plus plays in his two starts. Um, you know, I don't think there's any other player on the team that has, or any other running back that has more than like, like one.
3: 20 yards combined.
0: So, you know, it's a. That's a big addition um, and a big find. I mean, you've talked about John Schneider and you know, the personnel moves actually was going to write about this. If I get time is go through all the, person, all the personnel decisions they made in this off season from the draft to free agency to signings to trades, like how many of them have hit. I mean, his, his, his batting average was kind of ridiculous this off season.
2: Yeah, I remember I spoke to Jason Fitzgerald in the off season about Seattle's extensions, like in August, right before the season started. And he and I was like, "What was your favorite Seattle off season extension?" And his number one was Bradley McDougal. And he literally gave it was almost like a prophecy. Jason was like, "Seattle knows if Cam goes down, that you know they they can't have like some terrible backup filling in his spot because he's a difference maker." But he, Jason Fitzgerald, was like. Bradley McDoules was, was one of those guys where Seattle kind of waited back in the bushes during free agency and then got him for an absolute steal of a deal because he was not bad in Tampa Bay. Like he was mm-hmm. good in Tampa Bay. And the, who knows why they didn't re-sign him, but, I mean, how clutch was that signing just, just with Cam Chancellor going down and, you know, his, his usage on the rise and the plays he's making? It's incredible.
1: What about it's Chandler? kind of a mixed bag though, right? Like, on the one hand, McDougal's been a, a nice player, right? And he's obviously on a great contract. But on the other hand, you drafted two safeties. And totally. on the one hand, uh, you know, Mike Davis has been a pleasant surprise, and he's, he's holding it down pretty good. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, he sat on the practice squad for, like, 10 weeks behind Rawls and Lacey. Yeah. And, you know, Posick looks like he's going to be a good draft pick. Uh, and he only got – like a chance to play after there were like sixteen injuries on the offensive line. So it's like, on the one hand, they did some nice stuff, and on the other hand, it's like maybe like it. it there are these other things that are kind of going. I, I go around and around on this. Like, I mean, what ultimately matters is that they're good now and they've got them all in there and and great. But like, it kind of threw away some some weeks there. It feels like.
0: Well, remember, I mean, from uh, the way personnel stuff goes, I mean, it's their job to to provide the the players at the coach's job to decide, you know, depth chart and and who fits where. And so there's no doubt in my mind that, that, uh, you know, the post thing was a Tom Cable decision about when to bring him in. And honestly, I can't argue that, you know, his decision, even i mean, post I thought he was based on what I saw in training camp, which is his pass blocking is a lot farther ahead of his run blocking. He's not a good run blocker. He's getting pushed around quite a bit. Um, He's going to have to add a bunch of strength. So I think Lacey was definitely the worst signing. No doubt about that. In terms of money spent. Um, I'm. You literally I'm can't still, sign a
1: backup. for Someone to take Cam's roster spot. because know, else to know. Right? And they got Lacey right? sitting there making.
0: I think Delano Hill is still a good draft pick. I have zero problems with the Delano Hill pick. And I think that that's going to be one that they come back and are, are happy to have made. Um, you and I, Nathan share a similar point of view on Tedrick Thompson. I'm, I'm not a not a believer there um but you know uh anyway we could re-legislate the whole whole draft class but you know um you know chris carson maybe coming back um that was a surprise um I, i know the injury doctor guy on uh on twitter was like there's it's like winning the lottery odds that he'll be back this year he thought there was no chance yeah um Yeah, I don't know. How you guys feel about that? Are you hoping that he does come back? Are you hoping that they're just like, you know what, just uh, heal up and be ready next year?
2: The the only issue I have is I don't want them to rush him, just like in a a theory of being back ready for playoffs. I think uh, what Mike Davis is doing right now and JD McKissick are doing right now is pretty serviceable. And running the offense through Russell, I mean, I'm all about it. I, I just don't want to rush him back so he potentially gets re-injured, and then twenty eighteen, you know, is in jeopardy. I just want to make sure they're not rushing him, and I'm sure they aren't. But it's a, an irrational fear of mine. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's you no
3: whole the rookie class, and none of you mentioned Shaker.
1: <laughs> Shaq's the best. <laughs> he's great.
3: Was that not the best game he's played?
1: Uh, you... Yeah, probably.
3: He locked down Alshon Jeffrey. Been one of the better, he just got a $52 million extension this week.
2: Thank God we get Shaq and, Griffin for another three years for cheap. I cannot even tell you that is like a oh my God, that is like a salary cap orgasm. I literally can't even tell you. Like, he is so good. I'm so excited about him for the next four or three years for being so cheap. I, I and not only Shaq Griffin, Justin Coleman is amazing. Ah, uh,
0: That's With another one.
2: That trade was good. John Schneider, he wears a title belt for a reason. That man
0: is good. Coleman, Marcus Smith, uh, even Dion Jordan, although today sounded ominous about Deion Jordan, the way – I don't know if you heard Pete Carroll. It's like, yeah. Is it legit? Good. You know another <laughs> one? Legit, but he was like, uh, yeah, it's a different story on Deion Jordan. We'll, we'll, we're not ready to tell you about it yet. And I'm like, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: you know <laughs> another one? Quinn and Jefferson. Yep. Quinn and Jefferson, pretty good player. He got that cast taken off his hand. And when the Freeney move came out, I was like, why did they keep Quinn and Jefferson? This guy hasn't done anything in two years. He's been cut. Why did they just keep him? All of a sudden, the last two games, he's been a really good rusher. And that was a guy – I know John was really excited about him. So to get him too, and he was all over the pass rush for the last two weeks. I, I didn't see that coming. Did you guys see that coming?
1: Uh, I mean, I liked it, him. Uh, I I was less optimistic about him after they cut him, (laughs) (laughs) which is like another thing, like all this stuff, like Quentin Jefferson, great role player. Good job, John Schneider. It's weird that you cut him at one point, but you know, he's here now. That's what's important, I guess. (laughs) Well, I mean,
0: I happen to like the guys that they've got in that interior line and, and I liked Quentin Jefferson, but I never loved Quentin Jefferson. So I, I didn't lose any sleep over him moving off the roster. Actually, I'm kind of a Rodney Co guy. I'm interested in what he can do. Um, I think he's got he's got a lot of heft to him and a little bit of a, a bad attitude, which I, I like. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely played well. Um, I think Naz Jones we haven't mentioned. Um, another guy that's been, you know, a huge addition. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, Shaq Griffin, I mean, look, I was just arguing with this guy on Twitter who still pissed at me for, for saying that the Seahawks, you know, should have drafted a cornerback with their first pick. And, and do I still feel that way? And I, yeah, I still feel that way. I said it beforehand. I said it during. I'm saying it after. I'm still sticking with it. The Seahawks should have taken two cornerbacks out of their first three picks, and our entire roster setup would be different. You name almost any cornerback taken between our first pick and when Shaq Griffin was picked, any one of those almost added to our roster instead of Malik McDowell with still getting Ethan Posick, and we'd be in a better position than we are right now. Like, uh, So, sorry. I'm not going to change my tune on that. Nothing's convinced me otherwise. And damn P. Carroll. for Raising our hopes about Malik McDowell, and then being like, "Oh yeah, no, he's not coming back." Sorry, nothing to say there. Damn it, Pete! Stop doing that. Just say he's out.
3: <laughs> you know, who Pete is. I know. Well,
0: I mean, have you guys? When you we, we you know talked about the the Eagles game, I'm sure we'll talk more about it, but. Um, this Jaguars team, like how much of what you saw and the way the Seahawks played against the Eagles, how much do you think it translates to that game? Um, You know, what are the things you think are are really different?
1: It's going to be interesting to see how they play against talking about, you know, how they game plan and whether they, and and how they took it to the Eagles early Um, with Jacksonville being so good on defense and so shaky on offense, do they revert back to that? Well, let's just do some body blows with Mike Davis and let's just feel it out and let's just get to the fourth quarter and try to get one drive to win it. Right. Do they, or do they, do they see what they could do against the Eagles and try to go out and take a lead and what do you just want them finish, to finish, but start and finish. I, what I do mean, you I'd like to see them. I want to see them play a full game. This like, Uh, especially where they are now with injuries and everything, I think, and it's always been, it's always felt dangerous and they've always had a knack for kind of pulling these out. But, you know, now that you're down some players, uh, don't, uh, I don't think it's smart to try to just get to that last drive and then see, you know, what you can do against a really good defense. And so, to me, like, you just blew one of the better teams, or you just dominated one of the better teams in the NFL. Why would you change that game plan? Why would you try to do anything else? Like, go do that. Go do that same thing against this Jacksonville team.
0: Dude, I am so the opposite. I am full armadillo mode. Like, (laughs) roll up in a ball. Do not give them anything. Let Blake Bortles give you the game and get out of there with, like, a 9-6 win, and I'd be totally fine with that. You know what I don't
2: like about that is I get a conservative vibe. I I want them to keep the foot on the accelerator. I want a full game from the offense again. I do not want any I'm scared of the Jags defense bullshit. We have freaking Russell Wilson. God damn it, guys. Like, we, we got one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. We have an MVP candidate. Run the damn offense through him. Open up the lanes. Give him the ball. Put that ball in Russell Wilson's hands. Let him make plays. Sorry, Brian. I'm not going off on you specifically. You go of like, off on me because
0: I'm coming back at you. So don't uh, pull up now, man.
2: Just this conservative nature of like, oh, we're worried about the Jags defense. Guess who else has a really good defensive line? The Eagles. And
1: what did we just do to them? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be great if Pete acted like he had as good, like if he acted, if he had as much swagger about Russell Wilson as he had about his own defense. Like have that confidence that you have in your defense that you're going to you play a full game and that you can keep it close all game long. Have that in your MVP candidate. Russell Wilson's really good. Let him be really, really good for a full game. Yeah, I don't know, dudes. I also, you know, uh, if you he, want Blake Bortles to give you the game, the best way to do it is to get a lead and make him throw the ball. Otherwise, they're just, just gonna going to pound it with it stop the run. Yeah. I you mean, they're the going to have to do it no matter what. That's the way you get Blake Bortles to give you the game.
0: And, guys, was Peyton Manning an MVP of the highest scoring offense in the history of football? I think he was. How did he fare against the Seahawks
1: defense? Yeah. How I not go for him. Well, he, yeah. I mean, uh, it's a little different. I mean, you still have yeah. a really good defense,
0: he's the one of the best quarterbacks in the history of football
1: like he he owns like every record.
0: Like how did Aaron Rodgers do against our defense? Not so well. How did Drew Brees do against our defense? I mean, this is not a slam on Russell Wilson it's acknowledgement of that Jaguars defense is next level. This is not this is not like, oh, they're the best defense this year like the Patriots were the number 1 ranked defense last year. Bull. <laughs> this Jaguars defense is insane i mean that the quality of player that they have that can dominate a game at every level and i was just looking on twitter telvin smith their linebackers back to practicing so there's another blue chip player as i said today he's got more touchdowns than tyler lockett like they're they're, they're you know i think every member of their secondary has more interceptions than anybody on the seahawks like this is a really, really, really good defense. Doesn't mean I think that the Seahawks have no chance of scoring, but, you know, this idea that that Russell Wilson can just go balls out and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, I don't think that they should treat this game like the Houston game, right? But if this defense is so good, you need to, like, why why try to get something done in the fourth quarter? Why let it come down to the last minutes of the game? Like, if it's so good, you need to take your shots where you can. And you can't let any opportunity pass you by, right? And so you don't want to play stupid and you don't want to change who you are. But, you know, take that same game plan that you had against the Eagles and, you know, try to, like I said, just try to take advantage of every opportunity that you can get because you're not going to get a lot of them. And there's no guarantee that you're going to get to the fourth quarter and you're going to get that opportunity to, to finish the game. Go ahead, Devin.
2: <laughs> How would you know I was going to say
1: something? I saw you on mute. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> I, I, I just need to remind you, Brian Nemhauser, who's yeah. our quarterback? Who's our who's our franchise quarterback? Who's an M- a potential MVP candidate? Who's so damn good that he's a generational talent?
0: Would you like Man, to? Russell him? It's Russell Wilson.
2: Yeah, it's Russell, Russell Goddamn Wilson. Wilson. That's who it is. <laughs> we gotta run it through him. There is no fear when we have Russell Wilson. We're not putting Blake Bortles at quarterback. We're, this is Russell Wilson, Brian.
0: Gosh, I'm glad. I wish I could play chess against you, man. I'm not even very good at chess. <laughs> I, I have a feeling it would go well for me. But, but Jeff, look, the guys are right about one thing, just one thing. And that is that the way to beat the Jaguars so far this year has been to score more than 17 points. Four teams have done it, four teams have beat them. And the way that they've beat them is average 172, or I think it's 177 yards rushing. In those four games um what's your take on whether the seahawks can score north of 17 in this game and how legitimate of a running game the the cardinals got like 109 or something like that and that was enough um what's your take there
3: well first of all if there's any hope for the seattle standpoint blaine gabbert did pretty well against this defense That was just a couple weeks ago. Blaine Gabbard and Russell Wilson couldn't be further apart in terms of quarterback quality. Maybe there was the revenge factor. I don't know. But if there's hope that anyone (laughs) can succeed against them, the fact that Blaine Gabbard did it gives all of us hope that Russell can probably do it. To me, the big difference between Philly and Jacksonville is the cornerback play. Philly's cornerbacks going into the year were a big red flag across the league. They really held up nicely this year, but Seattle kind of exposed them a bunch of times, which led to penalties down the field. There was a lot of technique issues. And there was a base mask that wasn't called. we oh. got Jalen Ramsey and AJ Bouye, probably two of the top five corners in the league this year. I think there's a pretty good case Ramsey could be Defensive Player of the Year. So to me, that's the big question. But I'm pretty confident. I think they can pull out at least 17 points just based on how good Russell is. I think that's. I think 17 isn't that crazy to me. The big question in this game is how do you block Klay's camp because. Al couldn't do it when he was in Arizona. The guard plays a little bit better this year with Posick and Jokel, but Campbell shifted out to end in that defense now, and he's got a career high in sacks. He's just an unblockable force, and there's guys all across the line. So he's been a Russell Wilson killer throughout his career. So to me, that's the biggest question of the game: how do you, how do you block this guy? Is he going to line up against Jermaine Fedy? What are they going to do against that guy because he opens up things for everyone else? They got. Who are really good rushers. They added Marcel Darius. So my confidence level isn't great per se for Seattle. But you know, right now Russell I'm kind of with Evan. I want to go all out with Russell because I think that's the only way they can win. I think if they try to play that conservative style, I don't think they'll beat this team. I don't think I think Jacksonville's kind of set up to play like that. And yeah, if we're gonna beat like Bortles, the best way to beat him is he needs to be in passing situations. Because if they could just run the ball every time they'd be happy to punt the ball away and go three and out. And so I'd say I have a medium confidence level, but if they're going to win, I think it's got to be the way Evan and Nathan are saying it.
0: Yeah. God, you guys have such a short memory. How did, Didn't were we just talking about the, the Rams game and how that was the win of the season? Was what was, I mean, I'll take that. that really what was the score great. of that game? That, yeah, but that's, what was the Hold up, Brian,
2: what month of the year was that game played in? In December, every single year, the Seahawks like clockwork. Their offense suddenly starts working out of nowhere, and Russell Wilson goes on an MVP campaign every single December. This is, this is December Russell Wilson. This is not September or uh-huh. October or whatever the month it was that we played. Them.
3: <laughs> there was a lot of strange things that happened in that game. Greg Zerline, who never misses a field goal, missed an easy kick in that game. Uh-huh. Todd really fumbles at the one-yard line. Sheldon Richardson catches that pick interception. There was a lot of Jer- – uh, Cooper Cup doesn't touch the ball Rain right in his hands. I'm not knocking Seattle, but that game took a lot of weird things to happen.
0: I think that's what's going to have to happen in this game. I, yeah, I mean, well, I, think, yeah. I, I think that the, the Jaguars' offense is, is nowhere near the Rams' offense. So, oh, you oh. know, uh, but the Seahawks caused five turnovers in that game. Um, and they needed every freaking one of them. And and I I think that um if there's one thing that will turn this game for Jacksonville faster than anything else, faster than not scoring, faster than you know being conservative, it will be a turnover. And um, you know, I I love the way Russell played in this last game. He almost had another early pick. It was really close, and the game would have been different. Um And he had, in the two games prior, two of the worst picks we've ever seen and pretty damn close to December when those throws were made, Evan. So, uh, you know, I I am leading the charge for Russell Wilson MVP. I believe in him, and I believe that he can, you know, he can lead the team in, in a lot of ways. I just think for this game, guys, like, they've got to figure out a way to take advantage of the weakness of the Ravens Uh, The Ravens. Sorry, that's the other defense that's on my mind. But uh, of the Jaguars, which is – they're 28th in the NFL in rush defense. You know, yards per carry, rush yards, they're just not good at defending the run, even with Darius there. So, you know, I don't know if there's a way that they can get themselves to 100 yards the way that they got themselves to 100 yards against the Eagles, but if they can do that, I think that's way more important than Russell Wilson slinging the ball around the field. A.J. Boye – uh, Jalen Ramsey, like guys, go look at the numbers. Nobody is succeeding in throwing at either one of those cornerbacks. Nobody.
2: I ain't scared of them. We got Russell Wilson. We're gonna put up twenty-seven plus, Brian. I'm telling you right now.
0: Okay, from your your mouth to to the field, I I, to,
1: I hope I hope that's
0: true. <laughs> you,
1: you know that that Jaguar defense has gotten a lot better against the run with Darius. Uh, and you know, you don't get, you don't just get rushing yards from calling run plays. Part of unleashing Russell is letting him have the option to scramble and make something happen with his legs and go downfield. Right. I mean, w- like run downfield, not just throw downfield. So y- you can dream about, and you're freaking me out. Cause I, I, I bet Pete is thinking the same thing. Like, well, we're going to have to run the ball. Like <laughs> uh, this team they, they don't do that. They're not good at that. Like, don't do the thing you're bad at. <laughs> uh, especially against a defense that has gotten a little better against defending the run. Um, I mean, I'm not advocating being, like, foolish about this and trying to play the – like I said, trying to play that same game like they played against the Texans. But if they're going to go in there thinking that they're going to get Mike Davis going, like, that's terrifying. Uh, they're not going to win that way, I don't think.
0: Yeah, I don't think you
1: get Mike. I don't think you get.
0: I don't think you get Mike Davis going like he had sixty-four yards in the ground against the Eagles and a hundred yards of total offense. I think that you have a way better chance to win this game if Mike Davis has a hundred yards than if Russell Wilson has three hundred. Uh, you know, I, just, I absolutely believe that. And again, I got to turn back the numbers. If you go back and look uh, at the Seahawks record at games when Russell's thrown for a lot versus when that you know they've had. A uh, running back at some yards—it's—it's it's pretty clear which is more advan- advantageous for the Seahawks. But anyway, I hope you guys are right. I hope that they are able to do what no one else has done against this team. I hope that you know my eyes are are telling me things that I that are are incorrect. But um, you know, my my strong instinct is that uh, they've got to force this game, like funnel everything to Blake Bortles. You know, make. It rely on Blake Bortles and if you know they can hold Leonard Fournette to under 50 yards rushing which you know the the Cardinals held him to 29 or something like that Um, that offensive line is horrible Uh, you know Fournette's been nursing an ankle injury if they can hold him down and force it to Bortles and that defense can actually uh, create some turnovers and God please God Blair Walsh can make his kicks, then, then, you know, I, I feel like you can get out of there looking pretty clean and uh, look at the Rams. The Rams went in there and won 27 to 17 or something like that. The offense was not the reason they won that game. Special teams, Tyler Lockett's another one that could be a factor in this game. Their, their special teams, their return, their coverage teams are crap. Um, I think they're 24th or worst in punt and kick coverage.
3: I think for Seattle to win this game, their defensive line is going to be a big part of it. Because I don't know, if we haven't mentioned Frank Clark or Sheldon Richardson yet in the show. Frank well, Clark might have been, the best yeah. Go, go on,
0: Jeff.
3: Clark might have been the best player in the the whole game last week. I know we've all talked about Clark dominated. He was playing at a different speed and a different ferociousness. You saw him talking to Wentz and Sheldon Richardson might not have been the player that we thought he was in terms of like an interior rusher. But from watching the games on rewatch both of the last two weeks, Richardson is really good. I I tweeted at Evan last week. I remember tweeting at him, just like, did you watch Richardson closely? I kept watching the Niners, he was just blowing up people on the line. And when you got Clark going like that, and you have Richardson, those two guys, along with Bobby Wagner, that's maybe the new face of this defense. And we were the Legion of Boom in the corners for all these years. But man. Clark and Richardson are going. They were in. They had pressure. What, like sixty five percent of the time or something? The numbers on the, the pressure were ridiculous. And if you are going to beat this team, that that's probably the more sustainable way rather than trying to figure out what we're going to do on offense.
0: Well, I was going to say, can we at least agree that our bigger our bigger advantage is our defense against their offense?
3: Oh God, God, you
0: yeah. <laughs> Any arguments there? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you guys? I mean. There's been a lot of talk about Sheldon Richardson, and, and you know, I think there's some people that are uh, feeling like they have to take the, uh, the mantle um, for Sheldon Richardson to, to bring attention to how effective he's been. Where are you guys on Sheldon Richardson and, and like not only how he's playing, but do you want to see the team go all in on signing him and the money it will take to bring him back and what that could mean to whether they bring back a Jimmy Graham or whether they bring back like, where are you guys at on Sheldon Richardson um, for this team now and, and in the future?
2: It's a great question. Uh, for me, it's all like, like you said, Brian, it's all relative to how much he wants. I asked Jason Fitzgerald over the cap guy a few weeks ago, what he thought he would get. And Jason was like one year, nine to ten million, and I thought that was just way too low for Sheldon.
1: it's crazy.
2: That that I, I I I may maybe Jason. I mean, I know Jason has contacts all around the league, and hears much more rumors than I do, and has a ton a ton of more credibility than I do. But that seems really really low to me. I I cannot see nine to ten million on a one year deal deal for Sheldon, especially the impact he's had the past couple games. I uh I. <laughs> the minimum I could see him getting is like thirteen. Minimum, I I, I just don't, I don't see I don't see ten million a year for Sheldon. Like a such a strong positional value, such, such few players in the league. You know, with, with his talents and with his abilities, with his, you know, he doesn't only really show up on the stat sheets, but man, he has an impact sometimes. So,
1: if nothing else, there's no reason that he wouldn't get years, right? Like even if it works out to nine million a year, one year. Why would – I don't understand why that would be – that would be in he getting.
0: Well, uh, you know, Jeff, jump in. I, I, I have some thoughts on this, but I want to make sure you get a chance to jump in.
1: Well,
3: obviously it all depends on the price point, but I think I'm all in on Richardson. I think this is kind of – he's going to become kind of the new core player on defense. Now, you're going to lose Cliff April, Michael Bennett's getting up there in age. I think Clark and Richardson, those become your core players on defense, along with Wagner and Earl Thomas. I think those are the four guys you build your defense around. And yeah, Richard's a different player than I thought he was in terms of like an interior pass rusher. I thought he'd be more of a sack guy. But he just blows up the line of scrimmage consistently. And uh, I think his attitude around the locker room has been really good. He's gone gone along really well. If you hear any of his radio interviews, he's a really interesting guy. But that aside, I think I'm all in to bring this guy back. I know the cost might be crazy and he might cost you another player. But I think you kind of need these building blocks on your defense as you get rid of an April as you get rid of a chancellor who knows if Sherman's going to be back the one one thing I
2: want to remind you guys of this is if you're going to put money into Sheldon I assume you're wanting to extend Frank too so Frank's going to get huge money so I'm I'm not I'm not discouraging that but I'm just saying a lot of money's going to go into the defensive line then
0: yeah I mean I'm not as concerned about that part of it um I think that's a good call out Uh, but I mean, look, yes, I think Sheldon is, is played better than his numbers indicate, but his numbers are his numbers. How many sacks does he have this year? One, one sack guys that have one sack that have, you know, 33 tackles and play interior defensive line. They don't get you know, 18 million, 16 million, 15 million, like we were talking earlier. By the way, Jason was the guy that was putting out that number before of like 18 million for Sheldon. I think that's the number we all thought based on what Jeff, you were saying, we thought we were getting with Sheldon Richardson, which is a, you know, a soul wrecking defensive three technique that, that just goes in and crushes teams' dreams. And I, I don't think we've seen that level of, you know, havoc getting caused i think he's been a very good player um i don't know that we've seen him really turn into a you know just totally dominant takes over the game and and teams are you know unable to to deal with him kind of player yet um there hasn't been an aaron donald game or a i'm not even talking about a season a game where he was like you know uh geno atkins or um you know calais campbell or there's a bunch of guys that have been three techniques over the years that that can really disrupt. And I really, I mean, I I don't want to sound like I'm down on him. I'm not. I just, I don't know that, I don't know that I see him as this, you know, linchpin player. Um, I also heard him on, you know, Danny David Moore, something he said about Seattle. Like, he made some comment about, you know, he's used to being in New York where he had stuff that he could do. And it just made me think, like, what's to make any of us think that he wants to come back? like he got traded here Um, and and so I I don't know I'm not I'm not as certain about Sheldon I think I think I'm certainly happy we have him but I think the more interesting question recently has been like what happens with Jimmy Graham like every indication I had from a lot of different places was that he didn't want to be here you know he's ready to go and um, uh, last year's deal looked like the team was ready to let him go the guy's got nine touchdowns in eight games. Um, he who could have seen that coming? <laughs> I got to tell you, Nathan, <laughs> if not uh, you know, people inside that locker room and in that in that front office didn't necessarily see it coming. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think there's people that have. Been, it's not for lack of trying, but but there was a clear disconnect between how Russell was, you know, how he was playing and how he was utilizing Jimmy Graham and. Um, that seems to finally like that one touchdown against the the we about against Rams, right? That was when it started, right? Yeah. Um, they finally figured it out and they've caught fire. So what do you think? Um, you know, are, are you guys expecting them to franchise him next year? Do you think that that they find a way to bring him back? I mean, his you could let him walk and get a nice comp pick too, probably now. He's he's shown that he's maybe worth a larger contract than people were estimating.
2: I mean, sorry, go ahead, Nathan.
1: Go for it. You can. No, go ahead. (laughs) I mean, tight ends are are pretty affordable generally, right? I mean, he's a little older now. He hasn't been, you know, lighting the world on fire. I mean, he's been very good. Um, But just in this offense, he's not producing like he used to, or maybe as much as some other folks are. Um, And, you know, tight ends, you can get a tight end for what, $10 million, $9 million? I mean, that's about what he's making now, right? And so that's not crazy for someone who, you know, you should be able to expect to get you, you know, eight to 10 tight end, or t- touchdowns maybe for a couple more years. Um, I don't think tight ends necessarily age real great, but um, right now he looks like he's not slowing down too much. So uh, I, I don't think that he's a priority must sign. Um, but I, I don't think there's any reason to kind of chase him out the door. Um, but then with like Sheldon, I, I think I agree with you a lot on Sheldon, Brian. I like him. He's good. Um, I wouldn't say he's a star or, you know, one of the best interior defensive linemen. Um, I wouldn't pay him $18 million. Um, but there's, he's another guy that's like, there's no reason to chase him out the door. He's still young. Um, I would be willing to, to spend some money on him. And, you know, his, his tackle for loss numbers last I saw weren't great yet either, but uh, it's not just about sacks with those guys, right? I mean, um, Marcel Darius is making $16 a year. He's kind of an overpay, but, you know, he got that, that contract. Malik Jackson's making $14 million a year. He's not a, a huge sack guy. Ball Joseph is making 12 and a million. So it's not unrealistic to think that Sheldon could command, you know, maybe $13, 14000000 still.
0: Evan, I know you got to run in a little bit, so why don't you weigh in here?
2: Yeah, just on the Jimmy Graham thing. Uh, just a little context to this: uh, the market has not reset since um, he got his deal with uh, from the Saints. Uh, you know, at nine, ten million a year, so he, his current deal is still at the top of the market. It has not changed, and I think with him being older and um, you know, just a little, a couple recent injuries and stuff, so some concerns over that. I think, I think you could get him at like seven to eight million a year. I I might be totally wrong, but I th- I think you could. I think you could throw out a two-year, three-year, sixteen, twenty-four million dollar total deal, something like that, eight million dollars per year, and I think you could probably get him. And I, Evan Hill, the most notorious Jimmy Graham hater on Twitter and all and all social medias, would like to profusely apologize and this is my this is my repentance period right now for anybody watching i have been extremely skeptical of jimmy graham over the years but for some reason him and russell have caught fire they his red zone usage has obviously spiked he's getting the targets jermaine curse is gone hallelujah sorry nathan and it's it's great it's it's all jolly it's it's awesome so i, I i'm super excited to see see this red zone usage with him and you know this is what we wanted from jimmy Graham. we wanted him to be a red zone monster and this is it this is what we're seeing this is great so I, th- I don't know if you need to
3: apologize because jimmy was terrible in the first couple games of the year that game in green bay he was dropping passes he looked sour they were, then maybe you can blame the coaching staff they're asking him to be the zach miller role where he's blocking they're letting jimmy be jimmy and he's been great i don't think it's fair to be unfair if he was this the whole time. Then you would have never had that take, right? Yeah. Some of that's yeah. on Russell, some of that's on the coaching staff, and some of that's on him trying to adjust to a system that didn't maybe fit his skill set at first. So, yeah. I don't think you need to apologize. I think you're, you're happy with how he's playing, and I think it's realistic. But the cool thing that's happened with Jimmy and kind of the tight end group in general, they've kind of become the voice of the offense. And whether it's that stupid dancing in the end zone with the techno <laughs> Thursday or whatever that is, and Luke Wilson dancing around the locker room. The tight end group has kind of brought together the offense. And Nick Vanette's come out of his shell a little bit. He's gone a lot better
0: on the field. He had a nice game on Sunday.
3: He's become a nice player. He's a really good blocker. He's got good hands. He's good in space. And with Jimmy now, Jimmy, if you watch those, like, not the sound effect, the all-access video, when Jimmy scores a touchdown, his whole energy just completely changes. He's screaming like a madman. He's shaking Russell. He's going crazy. It just – Gives a different energy to the team. Like, that, that guy kind of used to be on. And they don't have that running back anymore. Doug Baldwin's a lot quieter than he used to be. He's not that I – mean, he's just more mature. He's more of a professional now than he was. He's very – he's probably the voice of the team maybe inside the locker room. But the tight end group, Jimmy especially, they all kind of come out of their shell. And it's really brought the team together. It's been kind of cool to watch him. Because it seemed like there was no chance he was coming back.
2: Real quick note on this on bringing the offense together. I love seeing emotion from Russell Wilson on the field with his like fist bumping after the touchdown to Jimmy Graham and all this like human nature from Russell Wilson. Awesome. <laughs> the I humanity. Love I love it. I love, I love, you know what? I love it when Russell Wilson swears. I think it motivates the offense. And I'm not joking.
0: It motivates, like, you know, it moves nations. I mean, when, when <laughs> Russell Wilson swears, I, I am 100% behind you. Um, uh, Evan, how much more time you got? Because I, I want to get your read on a couple of things. Ten more minutes is good. All right, cool. We can keep going then. But, you know, one of the other things, uh, I fully agree with what you're saying, Jeff, uh, both on the Jimmy Graham front, which, you know, you had such a mature take. So thank you for, uh, for being the adult in the room and bringing us out of our... You know.
3: That's scary. Uh, if I'm the adult in the room,
0: that's- <laughs> uh, and I agree with your point about the tight ends, I, I think they've given the the team like a light a lightheartedness that honestly they just they've needed. Like, there's been so much weight on their shoulders for so long, and like, remember, this is fun. Like, go out there and have fun. Like that, I think that's, and I think Russell Wilson is better suited to be influenced by that than having people around him that are so intense all the time. And, and, you know, curmudgeonly that, you know, it's, it's maybe not his, his best place to be, but I, you know, this whole Jimmy Sheldon thing got me. There's another thing that we had talked about um, a couple places. There's two, one is Luke Jokel and what do you do with him? We've, we've been, we've talked about him before. And another is Lockett versus Paul Richardson. Um, you know, I, I've kind of made my points clear on where I, I think things are with Lockett versus Richardson and I'll save myself for last, but, um, where are you guys at on, on Jokel and on Lockett or Richardson?
1: If you could only have one. I mean, I'm taking preach. I don't think it's, uh, he's the best player um of the three uh I, I mean people are talking about 10 million a year that seems kind of steep i guess um but uh, he's fantastic I, I don't know um i mean he's a stick but he goes up and he gets balls um he runs well with the the ball after he catches it he catches the ball well um i, I think that you could really easily see uh gold plate or Jermaine Kers, the guy's had 21 catches for 261 yards and a touchdown in the last two games. Evan, if you're going to apologize to anyone, maybe apologize to Jermaine Kers. I uh, see him leave and explode the same way that you've seen those guys explode. Um, Lockett can't seem to get involved in this offense right now, and frankly doesn't look like the same athlete that he was um, before the injury. Uh, I think he still looks like a nice player, but he doesn't look like a guy that you maybe want to spend money on. Um, and with Joe Poole, uh I just, you know, if you're going to have to spend, you know, $8 million a year for a few years, you know, assuming he gets basically the same deal, just some more years, I don't know that that – I mean, it's kind of hard because they finally had the offense offensive line looking good and, and, and playing well, and so to disrupt that is kind of tough. But um, I also don't think it's a whole lot to ask to replace one guard um the rest of that line is is locked in um so you could address that through the draft or look to do joker part two um or i mean you have all kinds of moving parts with fant and some other stuff coming back right so who knows what all they'll do there um so i'm i'm all in on preach i mean he's made huge plays right and he makes explosive plays and um you know that 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 play that he made against uh, the Texans, I think on the very last drive, it was either the very last drive or the one, the, the one that ended with the pick, uh, where Russ just, I mean, he just put it up. And he had no business putting that ball up. It was he just had to. Um, and Preach went and got it over a safety who should have had an interception. And, you know, there's not a lot of guys that can do that. And he's done it consistently all year long. And there's injury concerns, but uh, that dude has earned whatever money he makes.
0: Jeff. I saw, I saw
3: your takes, Brian. and I was fascinated by that conversation for sure. Because Lockett, Lockett as a rookie to me, it was like a home run player. He was, he was, he was a dynam, he was a dynamo on special teams. He was burning down the field. And when Nathan's saying about his speed and his explosion, then that's for sure. But he's also coming off a pretty serious injury. He had it in December last year. So it, it hasn't been a, Ton of turnaround time, so I'm really stumped on this one. If I'm going to be honest, I, if I had to sign one right now, it's Richardson, just because I know what he is and you can see him ascending, and he's been healthy for a long time. Knock on wood, but I need to know what the evaluation of Lockett's health is. I don't. I am not privy to that information. I for me, it all depends on the price. Like if you're paying 10 million a year. To keep Richardson, I think you have to walk from that deal and maybe move that money around to someone else. If you can get Lockett for like six million and Richardson for ten, I think you take Lockett at six million. To me, it all depends on the price because I think you're not going to be able to keep both. And to me, they're both really good with really good skill sets that fit this offense that are both downfield threats. So to me, it all comes down to price. If I whoever I can get at a more affordable price, that's probably what I'm taking because. You need the money for so many other pieces of the roster, whether it's the offensive line. They might have to extend Dwayne Brown a bit. We mentioned Graham. We mentioned Sheldon Richardson. There's just so many other areas. So if the wide receiver almost becomes kind of a luxury position, unfortunately. So To me, it's just who's the more affordable player. That's who I take.
2: So I, let me propose something. What if it's not one or the other? What if you let them both walk? Let
3: them both walk?
2: Yeah. I've been thinking about this recently. Because
1: just roll um, with Amara Darbo, or what?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it, this is this assumes you extend Jimmy Graham, so you've got Jimmy Graham, Doug Baldwin, your two top pass catchers, and then you maybe she hope. A boy? Yeah. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brandon, you to go. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, I've been thinking about this recently. I mean, I, I so I have a Tyler Lockett jersey in my closet, signed. I love Tyler Lockett as a rookie. I thought he was phenomenal. Um, but I think Paul Richardson is going to command some serious money in free agency, and I'm not sure if I'm comfortable giving it to him with his injury concerns. Kind of like what uh, Jeff was talking about. He has a real rattled injury history, and I'm not. I don't know. I mean, it depends on the guarantees, but I don't know if I'm comfortable giving him serious cash. I don't. I don't. I don't know how long he'll be available consistently in a season. And you know we got to see what what happens with Lockett to see if he bounces back. But I'm honestly not opposed to letting both of them walk, and investing money in other play, in the other players on the team.
0: Seriously, that's not the craziest take. You know that that's uh um and I mean that in the the least patronizing way possible. Um, <laughs> I, I I think that that's that's a possibility. I I tend to think the team's locked in with tyler um but you know i i might be wrong and the reason i think that is, is is mainly okay i play this out richardson clearly had i mean this year there's no doubt who's the better player this year zero doubt richardson's a better player and specifically what do you get paid for it at receiver or on offense in general if you're a touchdown maker touchdowns are what gets you money more than anything else and richardson's got five he's i think. You know, second on the team in touchdowns. Um, Lockett's got one. He just got his first in this last game. Um, there's no doubt that Lockett's shown less explosion this year, but you know, I haven't gone back all the way through his college career, but I don't know if Richardson has played two full years in a row at any point in the last you know, eight seasons or something like that. And you know, knowing how much money the Seahawks have to spend elsewhere, the idea of spending $10 million on a player with that kind of injury history. If it's a one year deal, maybe, although I don't know why he would do that. Um, so I, it's just hard for me to kind of see it like, and I also feel like you let him go and reshuffle, you know, in the draft, bring in another young player, you know, drafted the position. Um, I'd be fine doing that. Uh, you know, I, I guess I don't see Richardson, similar and I'm like similar to Nathan. He's not alone as like, this guy can be a legit number one, like one of the best receiver. Someone was talking about being a top 10 receiver in the NFL. I'm like, what? I don't see it guys. I, I mean, I think he's a really, I think he can be a, if he stays healthy, I think he can be a top third of the league. Number two. That's what I think he can be. I don't see him having any number one potential whatsoever. Um, so well,
2: Brian, I recommend not listening to the cursed truthers. There's a couple of them. One of them is on the podcast. Sometimes <laughs> you got to phase away from that crowd. I,
0: I you know, I, I, I don't know if I, if I've differentiated those guys. So, so I don't know. I, I, I think Lockett, for the reasons Jeff, you mentioned, it's almost confounding to me why everyone's off his bandwagon so quickly guy had a massive injury last year. He came back, didn't miss a friggin' game after like after that season. He came back um, here. And then um, you know, he's he's slowly started getting better. And uh see you later, Evan. Um so it, it's confusing to me that that people are so quick to move off of Tyler Lockett. I think that, you know, as I wrote before, like one of the things I really value in a receiver that's that's not not easy to find is separation guys that actually create separation so that when a quarterback throws to them, there's some space to throw it and lock it. His average separation per catch is larger than Richardson's. And I think it always will be Richardson is a contested catch player. I think that's a good fit for Russell and how Russell likes to throw the deep ball. And I think, you know, that's it is valuable, but, um, uh, you know, Lockett's a guy to me much more similar to a Doug Baldwin, who is going to consistently get open against any player you put him up against over time. And so I guess I'm expecting him to, to, to bounce back more next year and even the rest of this year. Um, and I just think durability wise, even though he got that injury, that was not like a tendon or something like that. It was a broken bone. I mean, it was, you know, it, to me, it does not pretend that he's going to have like an injury problem. Um, going forward, so that's where I am with him. Jokel, I'm with you, Nathan. Uh, like, there's a Davis uh, is a huge fan. Davis Sue is a huge fan. Talked about resigning him since the beginning, or you know, um, I I still don't, I, You saw him got knocked on his ass by Brandon Graham, right? Like turned around on one with one push. Um, he played pretty well, but. To have him be locked in, I don't see any reason to believe he's going to get any more physical. He's been in the year, the league long enough. Um, I'd rather see them go back to the lottery, see what they can pull out of the draft, or you know, maybe another veteran free agent. Not a huge, huge believer in sinking another eight million or or more into to Luke Jokel.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's another guy. Like, I'm not going to chase them away, uh, but. Um... Uh, there's there's no reason, uh, there's there's really no reason to, to decide to dump a lot of money on him. If you can work it out and he's reasonable and you keep your line together, that's great, but um, he, uh, contrary to some comments out there, he's far from the best left guard in the game. Uh,
0: <laughs> Why did you hear that, Nathan?
1: Uh, I don't know. It's some, some wacko. Uh, so, yeah, like, I mean, Seattle has this problem, and They've had it. This has been a new problem for Seattle, and they've consistently decided not to pay their middle class, um, which is why I, I disagree with the idea about paying whichever one is more affordable between Lockett and Richardson. Um, you either pay one of them because they're really good and they're worth giving getting that multi-year deal, um, or I think you, for me, I think you you do that, and you and I would expect that to be Richardson. Um, but whoever it is, you you pay the guy that you think is worth pain. Um and if you don't think either one of them's worth pain, you just let them both go. Um, so I I'd rather do one or none um and not try to cut the baby in half.
3: Yeah. I think Jokal's situation completely changed once they got Dwayne Brown here. Before they had Dwayne Brown and there was just a revolving door left tackle with Odi and who knows what fans is going to be. Jokel really stood out as like kind of a guy they kind of need to keep around for continuity's sake for just for like a veteran experience now with Dwayne Brown he's become the priority he takes up a lot more money they added what a 10 11 million to their books with that deal I don't think you're gonna have him and pay Jokel and with Brits raise, pay all these guys I think you got to make decisions and I think Jokel he's a fine player there's nothing wrong with him but I don't think he's a standout player I think if you're going to have to let any of these guys walk we're talking about, I think he's the guy. Unfortunately, I know that will hurt the continuity and maybe some of the progress they've made. But I think with Posick and with Fetty at right tackle, who who's actually had a pretty okay year considering it's his first year at right tackle, I think you're going to have to come back if you have four guys solidified. I think that's pretty good. And I think, yeah, you're going to have to make this – this is a really tough offseason for John Schneider. And I think if you got to cut bait on one of these guys, I think it has to be Jokel.
0: Yeah, I mean, don't forget you got guys like Jordan Roos, who's getting developed this year, and and is a very different body type than Jokel. Um, you know, super strong, um, could help actually help in the run game. They've been using him. They use him at fullback in the last game, and uh, I, you know, I don't know that I believe Riso Diambou is ever going to be a starter. You know, after what we've seen this year, um, just in terms of his physical ability, but he's another guy you've got there. Nathan, you mentioned George Fant. We don't know what's going to happen there. It's really hard for me to imagine Fant a guard. He just doesn't seem oh, to profile no, to to be a guard. But crazier things have happened. Um, but he could know, be a I right tackle. tackle. He yeah. could. He could. And and that would be a tough pill because you know Cable was talking about that today. He was actually asked this question, and and he's like basically pushed it aside. But one of the things he did say is, "Yeah, Fetty's our right tackle. He's." Playing well. Um, and and I I can't really argue. I don't think Fetty's like great, but um, you know, he's cut down his penalties, he's not given a lot of up a lot of sacks or or hits. I mean, I thought he was gonna be a total disaster. For his first year at right tackle, I'd say he played better than Britt did in his first year at right tackle. Um, not as a run blocker. I think Britt was a better run blocker, but um, you know, maybe I think he's definitely better than James Carpenter was in his first year at right tackle. Um, you know, Giacomini had been in the league a little bit, so I don't know. He was probably better, but it's a question. So yeah, that, that's going to be an interesting one to see how the team handles it next year. The good news is, you know, it looks like we got a legit four, four starters on the offensive line that, that have some some longevity to them. Um, and it's a lot easier to fill one spot than it is to fill five, <laughs> that's what it feels like we've been doing
1: for the last few years. Yeah, it's, it's a different problem and it's a much, much better problem yeah. than I had for a while. Exactly. Exactly. I, yeah, I, I, I'm, so
0: I'm curious if, I don't know if you guys, uh, have a few more minutes, but, but, uh, I, I, I think I, and started my, maybe I didn't even put this in my article. I started writing it, but I, I t- took it out. So before the game on Sunday, I was at a bar or well, at a restaurant with um, my son and a friend of mine. And I asked them both, All right, what, how would you feel about the Seahawks if they beat both the Eagles and the Jaguars the next two weeks? And my son said, Super Bowl. They, they they i immediately think they're a super bowl team. Um my friend said I don't think I really feel that differently about them. And then they started arguing back and forth and my son said, "Well, I just think there's 0% chance of that happening. They're not going to win those games." And uh <laughs> halfway there. He's uh we're halfway there and he's he's super excited, but you know Easier question for you guys. How will you – what will you think of this team if they manage to have beaten the Eagles and they go in there and they beat the Jaguars? What will that mean to you? Jeff, why don't you start?
3: I think I agree with your son. I think me – the whole conversation we Will had after that Atlantic game was kind of resetting our expectations for the season. Sherman was done. Chancellor was done. The defense looked like a shell themselves. The coaching staff was a disaster. We're like, okay, let's just watch. Let's see what happens. The Eagles game happens all of a sudden. You see that Seahawks of old team, the way they used to win, that dominant four-quarter team. We probably haven't seen that since the Super Bowl or the end of 2014 season. They go out and beat two teams that I think are kind of the class of the league in terms of defense right now. And Russell Wilson's playing at this MVP level. To me, it changes my expectation a Super Bowl level. I don't see how you can watch a team that has been so up and down all year going and they have a performance like they did last week. I don't see how you can't think this team to be anyone. That's that to me. That resets my expectation again back to what it was once they made the Dwayne Brown trade thing. This team could win the NFC, and that's that would be my view. If this happened. I might be extreme on that view, but that's how I would do it.
1: Where are you that at, Nathan? I totally agree. Uh, you know, uh, I'm to pull the DJ away now. Think about where this team is. If they win this game against Jacksonville, they'll be nine and four. They'll have come off back to back wins against a team that was nine and two going into the the game against the Seahawks and a team that was eight and four going into the Seahawks, right? A game against the Seahawks. So two division. leaders, Huh? 10 and one. Yeah, you're right. You're right. 10 and one, 10 and one. Uh, You know, two division leaders, two of the better teams, Jacksonville, you know, yeah, they're, they're playing lights out on defense. Um, and I don't know where that would probably put them in DVOA, but that's a really, really good football team. And the NFC is crazy right now. And the Seahawks, you know, gave a couple, a couple games away, but a nine and four team that has just come up beating two of the better teams in the league, um, you know, you got to think that they're right there for eleven and five or twelve and four. They're ninth right now in um, overall DVOA. Like this is a really, really good football team. And there's gonna be some weird stuff to work out in the playoffs with seating and and how that'll all look. But like there's no there's reason to think that if this team can be Philadelphia, Philadelphia and then Jacksonville on and Jacksonville on the road that this isn't a Super Bowl team. Yeah it's
0: <laughs> it's really rare that I'm the uh, uh and they have an They're MVP ready. candidate,
1: and then they have a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Like it's they really, do. really good. The,
0: those things are totally true. Uh, it's rare that I'm the the rain cloud on on a uh, um, Seahawks outlook, and uh, sucks that I'm the last of the three to go here. It's funny. I, I so basically, what I would say is, if they if they won that game, um, I absolutely think that they would. Uh, it would prove to me that they could beat anybody, right? That they are they are capable of winning the Super Bowl, and I'm not convinced of that yet. The Eagles game certainly gave me some re- renewed hope about that. But uh, and I will also say, if they beat the Jaguars, or hopefully when they beat the Jaguars, I think they absolutely win the rest of their games. I I, I have a lot of confidence in their ability to beat the Rams at home, um, despite all the the challenges with the Rams, and and I think they can beat. Dallas and Dallas, even with, with Ezekiel Elliott. Um, And I think they can beat Arizona at home. So um, all that, let's even assume that that happens for a second. That'd be fun. Right. My like old curmudgeonly, you know, 30 years of watching the Seahawks self uh, feels like that Redskins game is going to just come back and just kick us in the ass. And that, I still think we'll end up playing Philadelphia in Philadelphia for the NFC championship, or if we, if we went through something like that. And I think we're going to have a hard time. It's, it's just, it's hard winning in the playoffs on the road um, against really good teams. And um, uh, I hope to hell I'm wrong, but, but uh, you know, maybe if they get, you know, I think that my most confident would be if they get the number two seed, <laughs> the number one seed gets knocked off then I'm all in, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I, maybe after two more weeks of seeing them play and, and really beat great teams like this, I'll come back and I'll, you guys can make fun of me. And I would love that. Um, I'm not quite there yet. I, I haven't, I haven't been able to quite get to that level of confidence. This game, this specific game is the one that really got my attention. Um, Beating that Jaguars defense, you guys heard me talk about it. I have so much respect for that defense and and how hard it's going to be for our, our specific offense to, to do well against them. If we manage to, to score 20-plus points against that team um, and come out of there with a victory, I'll be singing a different tune next week for sure.
3: Okay, but listen, listen. – them making the NFC Championship. That's that's a pretty good season, no? Like considering where we were after that Atlanta game, where we were after that Washington game. So like, I don't think that's curmudgeony. Like I think if that's what happens. That's the outlook. That's pretty good. Like going into this Eagles game, I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs after that Niners game, and based on how the rest of the conference was looking, I think softie tweeted that Eagles game completely changed everything. That's how I felt coming out of that game. The whole game, I was just like, please don't blow it. Please don't blow it. Things are going too well. Please don't blow it. And Wentz <laughs> throws a crazy ball down the field.
0: Oh my God.
3: And I'm like, oh God, it's happening. Not again. They finally played well. They're going to lose. But then they end up pulling it out. Byron Maxwell picks the ball off. And I don't know. My whole outlook on the team has completely changed. And if they go out and beat Jacksonville again, I'm with you. I'm, I'm probably going to get a little crazy, a little unreasonable, but The fact that that we're having this conversation is such a good thing because if we had this conversation last week, people would have looked at us like we had three
0: heads. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess the last thing I'd ask you guys is, I mean, of the teams in the NFC, what's what's your perception of which would be the toughest for the Seahawks to beat on the road if they had to? I've
1: been thinking about this, and I don't have a preference between – the, the the teams that you're kind of think about are probably Philly, New Orleans, and uh, Minnesota, um, maybe the Rams. And for purely chicken shit reasons, I do not want to have to go play in L.A. because I could not live with this team losing a playoff game in L.A. to the Rams. But assuming they get the division and everything, I think the only one that worries me, and it's a little weird because we just saw them beat them, but it's going to Philly right? Yeah. And the only reason is New Orleans is indoors, Minnesota's indoors. If they have to go to Philly and play in the snow, I don't want any part of that. So for me, Philly, just being outdoors, even though they just beat them, uh, that would be the one that would make me the most worried to have to go there and play. Yeah, that's that's kind of where my head's been as
0: well. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't walk out of that game against the Eagles thinking, oh, man, the Eagles are totally overrated. They sucked. I I walked out of there thinking, Eagles are damn good, and the Seahawks just beat a damn good team. Like, Wentz made some throws. That throw you mentioned, you know, tripping over himself that he threw it 50 yards downfield. That was, as far as I was concerned, that was the best play of the entire game. That was a ridiculous play. And then for him to follow it up with the touchdown he threw, like, those were both, like, crazy crazy throws um beating that team that can run that can pass that can defend the run that can defend the pass in philly in the weather i don't don't love those odds um and i forgot you know i actually went and looked up minnesota i'm like oh yeah they'd be out in the cold too i don't want to do another one of those games like oh no they're in their, their their big stadium now so we don't have to worry about that what about you jeff
3: to me, yeah, you, you guys make good points on Philly. Wentz, even though Wentz only had, they had 10 points, Wentz really impressed me. I came out of that game thinking, like, this guy is ridiculously good. He's going to be around for a while. And I was I was impressed with a lot of little things he did. I thought the coaches hurt Philly a lot in that game, more than the players on them. But to me, the team that does scare me is Minnesota. I know they don't have a great quarterback, per se, although Keenum's playing very well this year. The thing that scares me is kind of the way – The Rams used to beat Seattle. The Vikings are so well-coached, and they're so coached up on defense. Zimmer, to me, has done an amazing job this year. They don't have much offensively. I know the receivers are pretty good this year, Thielen and Diggs, but the way that Zimmer coaches and the way that that defense can go, I think they can really give Russell a lot of problems. And I saw what they did to the Rams a couple weeks ago, where they just – no team has just taken the Rams out of their game, even more than Seattle did, than Minnesota has. And to me, that team would be a really hard team to play against just because of how good defensively they are. And it reminds me a lot of just the way like Jeff Fisher used to play against them, although their line, offensive line in Seattle is so much better. But to me, yeah, I think Minnesota still scares me a little bit, just maybe from that playoff game. I know it was in the frigid conditions. Blair Walsh against the Vikings, something about that scares the crap out of me. Um, <laughs> good point. It's like karma that's out to them. I don't know. But yeah, I think Seattle can beat Philly, and Philly. I know the snow would be bad and might negate some of their speed advantages, but I think they can win there. I think there are some schematic matches, like the Seattle taking advantage of those corners. I think that was obvious, and I think New Orleans and the Rams would be beatable. Those those are hard teams to beat right now, just how good they are on both sides of the ball. But yeah, I don't know. The Vikings scare me. I don't know. I don't know if that's the best one, but they just.
0: Well, the, the most poetic would absolutely be the, the Seahawks winning on like a 20 yard Blair Walsh field goal in Minnesota. Oh, I God. mean, <laughs> let's, let's all hope that happens for a little bit of fun. Uh, although, I don't know if I want to even wish for it because God, can you imagine how it would feel knowing that you're, you know, if we're waiting for Blair Walsh to kick that field goal to, to send the Seahawks to the Super Bowl? Oh, man. <laughs>
1: i'm getting stressed out just thinking about it all <laughs> right
3: i have to turn i turn around every time he kicks
0: uh i know i know i really tried to to get behind the guy who could have seen blair walsh's struggles coming <laughs> i know right <laughs> who could have seen stephen Houshka having a bounce back year you know like yeah
3: uh, right. maybe Nathan around schneider or something because maybe he needs to bounce David's got some good ideas this year. We
1: need him around. I I actually like the Blair wall I at the time. uh, All right. I take that back then.
3: Never mind. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, well, guys, uh, it's been fun. Uh, Good to be back and good to talk Hawks again. Um, uh, Just for folks listening, a reminder, please, if you haven't already, subscribe. Um, You can click on it down there. Uh, Subscribe to the YouTube channel. The more people that subscribe, the more people that are watching bring in some great guests that we've brought in so far this year. Kenny Main, uh, uh, Danny Kelly, we've had Mina Kimes, um, Seth Wickersham, we've had a bunch of folks, um, uh, Dave Bowling and and so forth. Um, But subscribe, you'll get notified when when any of these shows start. Um, Also, if you're not a patron for Hawk Blogger, please join. Um, All the proceeds go to Ben's Fund, Um, as Evan mentioned before trying to raise a bunch this year had a goal of 20,000 to to donate to Ben's fund by joining and being a patron, you get insider access. You get access to a private Facebook page where you can talk to us, um, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's fun. Um, And you could do that at Patreon.com, P A T R E O N.com slash hawkblogger. So with that guys, um, I wish you a wonderful rest of your evening and uh, you know, go Hawks. Seahawks. Want more great Seahawks talk? Of course you do. Check out the Pedestrian Podcast. It's the official podcast of the UK Seahawkers. Hosted by Stuart Court, Adam Nathan, and Ross Bell. It's fun. It's British. You get accents. You get Seahawks. You get football. It's definitely worth it. They're at pedestrianpodcast.podbean.com, or you can find them on iTunes. Check them out.